Welcome to EdMed Talks. I'm Dr. Adam DeVico, an educator. And I'm Dr. Jacqueline DeVico, a pediatrician. So before Adam introduces our new episode, I'd like to actually ask you. So I think you kind of have an idea on the answer based on our guest speaker tonight. But what do you think the most common chronic disease in children is? If I had a guess, I'd go with maybe like diabetes or asthma comes to mind. So that's a lot of answers that I get. A lot of people think those things, but truthfully, the most common chronic disease in children is dental caries or cavities. I would not have guessed that, but it is great that it is because that works perfectly with our guest tonight. We'd like to welcome and introduce our good friend, Dr. Kashina Hollis. How are you, Kashina? I'm doing well. Thanks for letting me join you guys tonight. Hey, thank you for joining us. So would you like to tell everyone just a little bit about what you do and maybe like how you got into it as well? Of course. So um, I am a general dentist, uh, but my practices are tailored primarily to our pediatric population. Uh, so I have five practices here in the triad area. Um, our practice is Triad Kids Dental. Um, and so our mission is to create a fun, upbeat environment, a uh, dental environment for children, regardless of their income, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds or life experience. So um, we are a very mission driven group. Um, and as Mrs. Dr. DeVico just said, <laughs> out here fighting a very common problem that is a little bit of a secret uh, to the, the vast majority of the public. So uh, I have been a dentist for 13 years. I uh, went to the University of Louisville for dental school, uh, Tennessee State University for my undergraduate studies, go Tigers. Um, and uh, I, I love what I do. Um, early on in my practice, uh, once I got out of school, I started in a general practice, family practice, but as a new kid on the block, um, anyone that's in most professions know, you usually get the patients that the older docs don't want to see. And for dentistry, you really have to have a passion for kids. So right out of school, even though I was in a general practice, I saw the majority of the kids um, in those practices and I loved it. Um, so I did that for five or six years. And then once my family and I transitioned here to Greensboro, um, settled in on the pediatric side and it's been that way ever since. And I will tell you, so not only do I know you as a friend, but I also refer plenty of patients to you, Dr. Hollis, and they always come back with glowing remarks. So thank you for helping to take wonderful care of our mutual patients. Yes, I love it. Yeah. So I, can you kind of explain what are some common dental issues that you see in kids and the best ways to address them? So the number one thing that we typically see is cavities or in the dental world, we say dental caries. Um, and basically what that is, is a breakdown in the hard tissue structure, um, which would be the enamel and the dentin uh, of a tooth. Um, that typically occurs because of carbohydrates that are in our diets. Um, so there's almost a chain link of events that occurs to create a cavity. So first thing you have is the host, which would be the tooth, which we all have and hopefully keep forever. Um, the second thing is a thing that we also all have is the strep mutans uh, bacteria. 
Um, and so that host tooth and that bacteria, we all have that. We really can't get away from that. We're humans, it's part of us. Uh, the one link in the chain that we can address and that we can really fight to decrease our risk of cavities is the carbohydrates and those sugars. Um, so a lot of people think of candies and they think of sweet treats and donuts. And listen, I am a human just as well as a dentist. <laughs> I love all those things too. Um, we, our kids know each other. I have kids. My kids love those things too. Uh, but some of the things that people don't necessarily think about is more of those carbohydrates that are in our diet. So the goldfish crackers, the chips, the breads, you know, rice, things like that frequently um, introduced in our diet increases our risk of cavity because the bacteria also breaks that down. Um, excretes an acid on the tooth and breaks down that tooth structure. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought that something like goldfish would be yeah. just as bad for teeth as like taffy. Definitely, definitely. And they get sticky when you kind of chew them up. Kids are chewing them up. They kind of stick all in those grooves. Now I'm scared what I'm eating. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So obviously our audience is parents. Like this podcast is all about parents and ways that they can help their kids. What are some good hygiene habits that parents can help their kids with starting at a young age? I mean, is like, do you start this stuff at infancy or does it, when should you start as a parent with good dental habits, hygiene habits? Definitely at infancy. Um, and it definitely starts with people like your wife, um, great pediatricians, um, because they will typically see the child before we will. Um, there's a lot of misconception just from, as my kids say, back in the olden days, uh, <laughs> they would say, you know, the first dental visit should be at age three. Um, but what research has shown over the years is by the time a child gets to age three, um, they can have severe impacts of dental cavities um, that can really lead to lifelong issues. Um, so the proper age would be age one. Um, mm -hmm. By age one or when the first tooth erupts, which for some children could be eight months, could be six months, um, depending on. So first tooth or first birthday is really what we try to push and really what we try to communicate um, to our partner pediatricians um, to make sure they're explaining that to our patients um, and jumping in there, getting in the dental office early on. Um, you can get that information. You can get the proper amount of toothpaste to be using. Um, for age zero to three, that will be a grain of rice-sized amount. Uh, age three and above, that will be a pea-sized amount. And when we say three and above, we mean three to 103. Um, <laughs> so if you're a, a little free information, if you're out there doing that long toothpaste commercial strip of toothpaste, you do not need that. They show you that on TV to sell toothpaste. So grain of rice-sized amount or pea-sized amount. Uh, and I think that's where it really starts. Okay. Follow up question. What do you, so the little tiny amount, do you use your finger? Like how do you get it onto the baby's gums? Of course. So you would hold off on the toothpaste until that first tooth erupted. Right. Um, but prior to that, um, you would take a little damp cloth and just start the habit of wiping out the mouth after each meal. So after bottle feeding, after nursing, um, just having that uh, habit developing with cleaning out the mouth. Once that tooth develops, you would just put that small amount on a small, soft bristle toothbrush, um, kind of smear it in. I always tell my parents, we understand that 
at that young age, a child is not able to spit properly. Um, so you would just take a damp cloth and wipe off the excess uh, fl uh, fluoridated toothpaste just to make sure that they're not ingesting too much. Thank you for saying fluorinated toothpaste. So this is a common misconception. A bunch of parents think, oh, children shouldn't have fluoride toothpaste because they potentially could swallow it. We put fluoride in our drinking water. And so thank you. I always tell parents to use fluoride. And I often get the question of, oh, well, why do they sell non-fluorinated toothpaste? And I don't know about you, Kashina. My answer is always because it's not illegal and it's make mo makes money. <laughs> I, I don't know what your thoughts are, but yeah. And I and what I'll tell my parents is, um, if you have a child, because there are some kids where, I mean, they're old enough to be helping you brush, but you're not quite sure that they're spitting properly. Um, you can use that non-fluoridated toothpaste when they are practicing. But I always say, as the parent, you should be continuing to help your child brush really up until age nine. Um, I know that sounds very old, but physically, just their dexterity development um, has not really developed to properly brush. Um, and so if you feel like your child is in that maybe two to three year age and they're getting that independence and they want to brush, you can use that flavored gel um, to let them practice. And then you, as the parent, would utilize the fluoride toothpaste to make sure that it's used properly, just like any other medication that you would be using. Oh, that's a perfect answer. I love that. I'll have to share that with my patients. <laughs> See, it works. <laughs> so as the kids get older, we'll say school age, what are, do the recommendations start shifting? So like how many times a day should the kids be brushing? What are the... Uh, those little extra things that they should be doing. Definitely. So we definitely recommend brushing twice a day, two minutes um, with each brush. Um, and that's really from the start. Um, yes, it doesn't take you two minutes when they have one tooth down at the bottom. <laughs> but we often talk about different techniques, knee-to-knee -knee techniques and things like that, um, that you can do to create bonding time with your child and make brushing a part of a nighttime routine, a part of the morning routine. Um, a lot of times parents are like, well, you know, what is the most important? And just like gum commercials, toothpaste commercials, you could ask 10 dentists and get nine different answers. Um, my answer to my patients is, you really want to make sure you're getting that nighttime brushing. Um, and I'll give you a little bit of my logic with that. Yes, we want to brush in the morning for our friends is what I tell my patients because nobody wants to smell stinky breath. We're no longer wearing masks <laughs> in school. So we do that for our friends. But at nighttime, we want to brush for our health. And so the reason we say this is because when we're sleeping, we have a decreased amount of saliva flow. We're not digesting food. So the body is not processing energy to do that. Well, a dry tooth that doesn't have saliva on it is a much higher risk of getting a cavity um, than a tooth with the natural minerals that our saliva has. So you don't want to go to bed without brushing and flossing um, and leaving everything that you ate and drink, all that residue on the teeth. What is your advice with the types of toothbrushes out there? I know beyond the traditional toothbrush, there's often there's the electric ones. And then I know they started making those kind of U-shaped ones that are supposed to get all your teeth at once. Yeah. I'd love to hear your opinion about those. Yeah. And I'll when it comes to the U-shape, I'll be very transparent. This is my own personal opinion. I think it's one of those new like TikTok, Instagram. <laughs> yeah. It's a gimmick. <laughs> I think it's a very gimmicky thing. Um, and that's my personal professional opinion. Um, 
May I've used both manual toothbrushes and electric toothbrushes. My children have both. And I usually tell parents, yes, the electric toothbrushes, there, there is research that shows that it does remove more plaque. Um, I think some of that can be is because kids will leave it in the mouth longer. Um, it does do that little oscillating motion, most of them, so it can get by the gum line, which is where the plaque starts. Um, but at the end of the day, whatever your child will use to brush properly is what I will support. Um, I'm not big on saying one way or the other. Um, I usually tell parents, if you want to go down that path of electric toothbrushes, you can start with a little $5 spin brush, see how your child likes it. You know, for some kids, it's too much sensory overload for those. So don't spend $80 on it if they're not able to utilize it. Um, but whatever you can get them to use properly is I will support that. That's great. So in you know in the beginning you mentioned just like creating in your practice an upbeat place for the kids to be. Obviously, going to the dentist can be a scary experience for some kids. How have you created kind of this child-friendly and anxiety-reducing environment in your practice? So it starts with our lobbies. Um, in most of our practices, we either have tech tables, we have little jungle gyms in there. And so when they're walking in, they're not getting that doctor vibe. They're getting like, oh, McDonald's play place or Chick-fil-A. Play <laughs> so it kind of lets them let their guard down. Um, once they're in the back, we do have televisions um, over each of our chairs. Um, it's actually part of the AAPD, which is the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry. It's a part of their guidelines for behavioral management, distraction. Um, yeah. So we do televisions where we play Disney movies, Pixar movies. Um, we have fun ways we talk about things that they're going to experience. We don't say giving shots. We say we're going to have a little mosquito or we have Mr. Bumpy, Mr. Whistle, so that the children can kind of understand what they're going to be processing with the sensory stuff that goes on. Um, so you're not catching them off guard, but it's also in a way that's not scary. You know, I had a flashback when you were saying that back to our son's uh, original pediatric dentist. I mean, years and years and years ago when we were living in another city. And I, I do remember kind of just how relaxed Ryder was. There was like a TV above him. And so he was, I mean, he was completely zoned out. He had the, the headphones on. He was, he was in heaven. He didn't move an inch. Uh, so yeah, I mean, all those things, I, I, I'm sure create a very just relaxing environment. You know, I was also really impressed and, you know, uh, wanted to hear more about what you said in the beginning about creating a practice where you're going to be providing, you know, excellent dental care hygiene for uh, children, despite any socioeconomic differences, you know, it's a very equity based type approach. What inspires you for that? Well, in America, I'll just say that right now, dentistry is still even from kids to adult is looked at as a luxury. Um, people don't necessarily associate dental care as health care. Um, but as you know, both of you all know, the mouth is the gateway to the body. Um, and so, you know, starting with dental caries early on in life, um, impacting going to school, um, impacting education, uh, dental abscesses and infections is one of the leading cause of um, absenteeism in, in schools. Um, and so that's one thing that we're looking at. The other thing is just understanding that when you can start that approach at a child, you do have the uh, ability to impact the whole family. Um, you see, you know, in adulthood where adults are having 
you know, increased risk of diabetes and heart disease because of poor dental and oral health. So it's really a, a kind of a magical area where you can really influence a lot by doing very little. Um, it, it, it's a big impact. Um, and it's, you know, children have no choice. I grew up um, in an underserved area. Uh, I grew up in a single parent home. And so I remember the dentist coming to my head start um, and brushing our teeth and, you know, getting fluoride put on. Um, look at me today. Um, so yeah. be, being able to do that for another child and pay it forward and do that with a group of partners who believe in that mission as well. Um, it's just rewarding. And it's interesting you say dental care is looked at as a luxury because it is a part of our body. It's no less important than any other part of our body. And I remember actually I went to a relatively new medical school and we actually had a week, one week, so not a dentist, <laughs> but, but we had a week of dental curriculum. And the big thing they wanted us to take away from it was how important dental care affects your overall health. It's not just cosmetic. It is about keeping kids and then later adults healthy. Uh, so uh, it's getting out there, Christina. I promise it is. I love it. I, the yeah. fact that you said you got one week is like, <laughs> hey, we're, we're making progress. I love it. Yeah. So tell me, sometimes we will get calls um, instead of the pediatric dentist about some dental emergencies. So can you talk about some kind of common dental emergencies and what to worry about or what not to worry about in those scenarios? Definitely. Um, some of the common dental emergencies we see, especially as school is returning, it seems to be at the beginning of the year, kids are kind of new friends. Uh, one thing would be uh, fractured teeth um, from trauma whether it's I fell off the monkey bars or I got hit in the face with the ball. Um, we, we tend to see that. Um, number one thing is call the office um, immediately, you know, just as soon as you can. Um, let us get the patient in, get x-rays, evaluate and assess. Um, a lot of times those require a long-term treatment plan. So yes, there can be kind of a acute fix to the situation, but usually those type of injuries require long-term uh, evaluation and assessment. Um, the other thing I'll see is uh, teeth getting knocked out. Uh, mm -hmm. Big, big thing. If a baby tooth gets knocked out, do not put it back in. Do not put it back in. I think sometimes people get confused because if there is an adult tooth and you're able to clean it and you can replace it back in there, obviously you want to do that right away. That is not what is recommended for a baby tooth. Um, replacing that back in there can damage the uh, developing tooth bud for the permanent tooth. So don't do that. Um, if you are not able to re-implant an adult tooth, um, maybe put it in some milk. There's this thing on the market called Hank's Balanced Salt Solution. You could probably get it off Amazon. Um, you can put it in your little emergency kit in case that does ever happen. You just drop the tooth in that little solution, call the dentist, try to get to the dentist within the same day. Um, but if you don't have that, milk is a, a good alternative. Um other things that we tend to see are, um, and this was a weird one during COVID, is children dropping their devices on their face 
and fracturing teeth. So if your child is going to bed with a device, a phone, a tablet, a, a Nintendo Switch, <laughs> 40 of those during COVID when we weren't able to really see patients. So yeah. be mindful of that. <laughs> I could see that though. I could so yeah. see a kid just kind of, you know, laying back with their phone or something in their hands and just drop it. And just half falling asleep. Yeah. So that is another reason. So we have an episode about screen use and before bed, we recommend not doing it before bed, but that is another reason besides the fact that screen use will disrupt your sleep at night and make it harder to fall asleep. We also worry about tooth fractures. All right. So we'll add that to the list. Yes. And probably the last thing is just an abscess, you know, a tooth that has had a cavity for a long time, um, that tooth starts to cause pain. You look in the mouth, you see a little bump or swelling um, next to the tooth. You definitely want to get in um, to the dentist as soon as you can. Um, the one thing that over the last, you know, five to 10 years is um, really trying to educate parents on antibiotic use. Um, you know, it's We've overused antibiotics for a long time, uh, especially in dentistry. And so trying to retrain people's understanding, um, really the, the way to treat a dental infection is to address the source. So either that means if it's a tooth that can get a root canal to clean out the infected portion, doing that, or if the tooth has to be extracted, actually removing that. Um, but there are very, very few times that I actually recommend giving an antibiotic for that. Yes, there are some one-off cases, um, but just really trying to educate parents about how you really want to limit the amount of antibiotics that you're giving your child for those type of uh, infections because they don't clear the infection. The source is still there. That's great advice. Yeah. That's great advice. Uh, you know, we had an episode a little while back about just eating and, and healthy habits with eating. And you've, you mentioned this a little bit ago, but what are some foods you mentioned a couple foods to avoid? Are there any other foods that are recommended? Uh, and any, and any others that you're just like, Oh, you cringe when you see a kid eating it. Cause you know, it's gonna come back to you one day. Definitely. Um, and I, we do love to make sure that we are giving our parents options because it's easy to say, don't do it, but, you know, helping them find out things to do. Um, things I would recommend is like cheeses, um, nuts, as long as there's no allergies and your child is not too young that they will pose a choking hazard. Um, fresh fruits, fresh veggies are always kind of top of our list um, to do. Things that I think make me cringe are Gatorades or any type of, you know, Powerades. I'm probably going to get sued one day <laughs> <laughs> for, for naming specific brands. But um, I usually tell parents, you know, if you're properly hydrating your child with water, if they're in sports and athletics, you know, fresh fruits, oranges, bananas, berries, things like that prior to the um, competition and then afterwards, they have enough electrolytes. I mean, they're not running marathons. You're not having to over supplement uh, with that. Really the acidity of Gatorades, Powerade, sports drinks combined with the sugar. It's, it's just a recipe for uh, bad oral health. So that's probably my cringiest thing. Well, and that's funny too, because that's something that when we talk about uh, the prevalence of overweight and obesity in the pediatric population, a lot of those drinks really do play a role. And isn't it something too with a lot of those drinks, kids are kind of sipping little bits throughout the day. And that's worse for dental hygiene than just 
you know, kind of drinking and eating kind of all at once in a short period of time. Correct. It, we, we say that all the time. You, if you're going to give the AAPD recommends um, no more than four to six ounces of juice um, in a day for our um, young children up to adolescence. And so um, that's less than a cup. Uh, and so yeah. Definitely. It's something that they, that is also recommended that you give with a snack. So one sitting, as you said, no sipping throughout the day because you're never allowing the pH in your mouth to go back to neutral. You're never allowing all of that residue to kind of wash off with the saliva, which is a little breeding ground for our little sugar bugs who also like <laughs> those beverages. Man, I learned a lot today. I'm just going to say it. I mean, Jackie, Jackie probably knew a, a good amount of this, but I learned a lot and now I'm frightened for my own uh, parenting here, but I got a lot to grow. Uh, yeah, I just want to thank you. This has been awesome. And uh, you are a wealth of knowledge and such a just a great person. Are there any final kind of tips, advice, anything you would just say, hey, parents, this is what you could do best for your kids? Best for your kids, like I said, monitoring that nutrition, um, trying to stick to fresh things as much as you can, um, pushing water as much as you can um, versus the juices or sodas. And then that brushing and flossing twice a day. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, it's um, priceless. <laughs> you know, prevention is very, very cheap. Restoration is very costly. So. Well said, well said. Well, thank you again. And uh, as always, Jacqueline likes to wrap it up with. With reminding all of our parents that you know your child best. There's no such thing as the perfect parent, but you can be the perfect parent for your child.